Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Keep in mind, the Apostle Paul's in prison. And uh, probably going to end a little early tonight because I want you to be able to think a little bit about this image that we're supposed to be. Take a little time to go home and and maybe even in, in the lobby and just think about what being in the image of Christ would mean. What's wrong? I did not do that. Technology out of this world. That's you know, use a paper Bible, okay? Just make sure I can read it. It never goes away. I can imagine up here preaching and all of a sudden the iPad just goes blank. Well, that would be like, hey, service is over. I don't have anything else. It's blank. That'll never happen to me because it's never over. I got something to read, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to take special note. Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Uh, now keep in mind in verse chapter 4, uh, he's been going trying to get the, the people of Ephesus. Now remember carefully, Ephesus had the great goddess Diana. It was an immoral worship of this goddess. Immorality was at the temple. It was a part of worship, quote, quote. And so many of these people came out of this worship of Diana. And so you're going to notice here in the putting off, you're going to notice some things that all of us uh, would take note of. And you're going to see the way he says it to make it real clear. But then there's some things to put on to add. And so I just want you to notice tonight in verse 1, he says, Be ye therefore, in other words, as a result of chapter 4, you're beginning to put things off and put things on. I don't know what that is. How many more interruptions can we have tonight, okay? All right, okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, you'll notice in verse 1, he said, (coughs) okay, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, he's in prison, beseech you that you walk worthy. That's his goal. I want to encourage you to walk worthy. That's what he says. And then he goes into the portion about putting off and putting on. Now, let me just sort of say tonight, how many of you know what the NFL OTAs are? Okay. They're the organized team activities, the very beginning of practice. Always in June, late May, early June. Usually lasts a couple of weeks. It's when they put in the new offense or the new defense. But you know what they have from after the season's over until OTAs is voluntary workouts. In other words, the best teams try to get all their players to come uh, to their workout place and try to have 100%. Now, you've worked out pretty well for nine months and the season's over and and you're tired and exhausted and so uh, you might take the month until the uh, Super Bowl, the early February, late June, uh, late January. And so everybody sort of takes that time because 
28 to 30 teams are finished in January. So they, that's when all the NFL players and coaches go on vacation. That in February. But then they try to get all the players to come in and say, let's have 100%. You know what they're doing? They're getting prepared physically for the next season. They're running. They're lifting weights. They're trying to eat right. They're trying to be careful. They're trying to improve their bodies. They're trying to add 10 pounds of muscle. They're trying to lose 10 pounds of of body fat and gain 5 pounds of muscle. Uh, They're trying to adjust their body for the next season. But all of them are trying to add muscle so that they can play better the next season. All of that is on their own. You know, I sort of feel like you folks on Sunday night are involuntary workouts. You're trying to get better. That's why you're here. You're trying to be better prepared to serve the Lord. That's why you're here. I want to remind you, Christians are always involuntary workouts, day by day, trying to get better for the battle that we have every day. We're trying to improve and make less mistakes. Mistakes cause teams to lose in every sport. Christians that make mistakes can cause people to die and go to hell. If that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. A simple mistake. Loss of temper. A weak moment. A, in, an ingrained weakness that we don't take care of. The, the organized team activities are people are supposed to come and be ready to go. And if they're not, they usually make them practice on the side. Sometimes they'll dock them pay so you're not ready to play. And the Lord Jesus doesn't do that to us, but what he does do is says, you're not going to earn any reward until you fix this. Now, notice he says in Ephesians 4, and notice he says that you walk worthy of the vocation where you're called. It is a privilege to be a Christian. It's a greater privilege to be called of God to do something for him. And everybody in this room has been called of God to do something for him. We're A, to serve him, B, to be like him. Now, everybody in this room can be like him. And everybody in this room can serve him in some way. You might say, well, I'm on a cane. I can't do much. Everybody in this room has got a purpose in this life whether it's to pray for the lost or to pray for our missionaries, uh, everybody in this room has got something you can do to serve the Lord. Are you doing it? Number one. And number two, are you becoming like Christ? So having said that, now look at chapter five in verse number one. Be ye, now he's sort of drawn attention to things they can do in chapter four. Uh, you know, evangelists and they're to build the saints and to do all these different things. What you'll notice in chapter 5, he starts on becoming. Notice what he says. Be ye therefore 
as a result of you become a Christian, you're trying to walk worthy, you're trying to be like Christ, be you therefore followers of God. This word follower in the Greek text is the word mimetes. It's to mimic. Have you ever seen uh, someone sit there and uh, a child and another child's talking and he says the same thing and he keeps saying, it's irritating. And if you and I are like Christ, we're irritating to the world. Because you you don't act like us. Uh, They, Christ loves people, I love you. I don't want to hear that. Leave me alone. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. We're children of God. And when you think about who you are, it ought to make a difference in our life. I am the child of the creator of the universe. I want to please him. I want to walk worthy. So I'm going to put off some things, and I'm going to put on some things. So notice he says in verse 2, Walk in love. Now watch. We all know what it means to walk in love. Um, As you walk, you love people. You love people around you. You love the people in front of you, behind you. There's no one that you don't love. Now follow. As Christ also hath loved us. That's the way every Christian is to walk. That's why when people get crossways of these, uh, each other, we're not walking worthy. That's the reason whenever <clears throat> at work uh, you don't like somebody, you go a different direction because you don't like them, they don't like you. Uh, it's not walking worthy. There is no quarter or exception to the rule of walking in love as a Christian for any of us. So as you're here tonight, and you're voluntarily trying to be more like Christ, you're in voluntary workouts. Notice what he says. He says, as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. So you and I present ourselves. Lord, I'm yours. And Lord, I give myself to you sacrificially. I lay aside my own desires. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. Notice, if you would, very famous verse, but notice how it applies right here. Same author, but he's saying, Christ hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. But we're supposed to do the same thing as Christ loved us. Notice chapter 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, dear children, by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, that you, here it is, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay? Lord, here am I. I I give myself to you. I love you. And I love other people. So I'm going to sacrifice myself and forgive them when they don't deserve it. I'm going to go the extra mile to be good to somebody that doesn't deserve it. I'm going to be pleasant to someone that's not very pleasant to me. I'm going to work at that. Voluntary workouts. Lord, I want to do it 
because I love you. I want to do it because I love other people. Notice, if you would, in verse number 1 of chapter 12, he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, every sacrifice, these Jews knew it. The Ephesians didn't really understand it, but the Jewish people knew it. They knew what a, a, a sacrifice was dead. So you and I have to die to ourselves. I have no feelings. You can't hurt me. He said, present yourself a living dead man so that no one can hurt you. You always have that bright spirit. You have the love of God in your heart because you're a sacrifice that's dead to yourself, alive unto God. Notice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then I like this phrase, which is your reasonable service. He's not asking too much. It's something all of us ought to do. It's reasonable. He died for us, gave his life for us. He says, I don't want you to die physically. I want you to die to your flesh and still live. I want you to represent me. And so we say, Lord, I present myself to you first, holy and acceptable. Are you okay with that? Now flip back over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5 and notice the same connotation. He says, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice. He did this to his Father. Lord, I die before you. I die for you to pay Dave Pittman's sin debt. And notice what he says, a sacrifice to God. You're not sacrificing yourself to someone that won't forgive you, but you forgive them. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. And thereby, Lord, I'll forgive him because of you. And Lord, help me to love him. Help me to love my enemy. Lord, those that despitefully use me, help me to love them. No other religion on earth asks that. But no other religion on earth serves the God of heaven. And that's why voluntary workouts are for you and I to say, Lord, show me how I can mimic you in every way. Let my spirit, my face, let my, uh, my countenance represent you. Folks, Christians are to be the most joyful people on earth. Why? You get a home in heaven. It's already paid for. But does this show it? The old devil loves to get Christians downtrodden because then Christ is not revealed in our spirit. And so we're not mimicking the Lord. Now, notice, if you would, uh, in, in, in verse number two, he says, for a sweet-smelling savor, something that is a great smell to the Lord. It, it, it's an offering that is a sweet smell. Uh, I don't know you, but I want to smell good before the Lord. I, I, I want him to see me and to see my life and say, wow, that pleases me. Voluntarily, I want to do that. It's not something you have to do. 
It's something I want to do because I want to walk in the love of God. So there are a lot of changes all of us should ought to make. Now notice if you would in verse number three, he totally changes the subject, but it is what sacrifice is. To the flesh, it's a sacrifice to give up pornography. To the flesh, it's a sacrifice to give up immorality. Notice, but fornication and all uncleanness, fornication, immorality before marriage. Notice, and all uncleanness, any kind of immorality, homosexualism, um, pornography, anything, adultery. Notice he says, but fornication, all uncleanness, and there are three things he lists that he says, look, there's some, these three things should never be mentioned behind a Christian's name. There are three things that should never be mentioned in this place by any of you. Number one, fornication. Never. Number two, notice what he says, uncleanness. Homosexuality, pornography, immorality of any kind should never be mentioned in the same breath as a Christian's name. But now, those we would say, that's not me. Look at the third one. The third one says, or covetousness. You and I would look at covetousness and say, oh, well, you know, if, if I had to choose between murder and covetousness, I'll choose covetousness. God didn't. Covetousness to the Lord is a horrible sin. Now, there's two words in the Greek text, in Koine Greek, that describe covetousness, if you look at it. One, I mentioned it this morning. It's only used one time. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. You'll see the one time this word is used. Hebrews 13. <clears throat> and, and I don't think it is uh, anything uh, incorrect to take both words and use them uh, for the definition of the word covetous. Notice, if you would, in verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And you'll notice... And be content with such things as you have. Contentment prevents covetousness. Satisfaction prevents covetousness. That word is the word a lover of silver. A lover of shiny things. The root beyond it is things that shine. That attract people. Oh, I like that. That's shiny. And then it got referred to as silver. Silver shines. Uh, I can remember uh, growing up, and there were different saddles that um, uh, that you'd put on a horse, and you know, there's a working saddle. You'd get a, a saddle, and it, and it would have, uh, and maybe it's just pretty plain. You would sit on it, and it was like sitting on a board, uh, but it was covered with the leather, so you didn't get any splinters in your backside. But then there was a a, a roping saddle, and it had pad on it. I mean, he had some pad. It was like, you know, you sit in this thing here. Uh, ah, you know, horses riding you. It's really nice. It's padded. Um, uh, but then there was a saddle that you could buy that was silver plated. 
Oh, it had silver down the, uh, down the, around the stirrups. It had silver on the back of the saddle, silver around the back of the silver on the horn of the saddle. And you're looking and say, wow, that looks beautiful. It's no good just to ride around and let people see it. You would never take it out in, a, out, out in the pasture and the horse fall down and all your silver get all over messed up. So you would never do that. But it looked beautiful. And so he says, look, covetousness is wanting something silver and shiny. And so in Hebrews, he says, let all covetousness, just avoid it. And be content with such things as you have. Every other time in the New Testament the word is mentioned, um, uh, the, the second time the word is mentioned, uh, literally, it, it, is, it is not, it is not uh, the shiny things word. It, it's the word to hold more. To have more. To grab on to more. You know, I've heard, I've never seen it done, but the way you catch monkeys in Africa is you put nuts in a little bowl and they put their hand in there and try to get the nuts out, but they'll, you can catch them because they won't let go. They're covetous. I, I, I got this. And they can't let go. And they see you coming. They don't have the smart to say, give it up. And they can go free. They can't do it. They're covetous. And you know, Christians can be the same way. I, 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 I want to live like you, Lord. I want to love like you. But, but Lord, I, I really want this car. I really want this position at work. Lord, uh, it provides so much money. Lord, it, 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 is, it is, I could do so much more for you. And, and it's, you've got a hold of it. Or rather, you're holding on to more. That's the word covetousness. You know why it's such a sin? Notice with me, if you would, um, in, in verse, number, um, verse number five, notice why I think it's so much of a sin. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. You know what he's saying? The things that you hold on to and want more of Take my place. That's why covetousness is wrong. Anything we'd say, I'm not an idolater. If you're covetous, the Lord says you're an idolater because you want to hold on to those things and get more instead of me. That's why he lists covetousness as one of the top three sins in this passage. I would have never thought so. So I have to back up and take a look at my own life. Lord, where am I covetous? Lord, could you open my eyes? Could I ask you tonight, children, young people? Um, young people are notoriously covetous. I mean, Christmas is a right. I, I want this, 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 this. And, you know, what would you like for your birthday? Well, I want this, this, and this. And, and, and so we begin to look around at things knowing Christmas is coming or knowing my birthday is coming. And so you have to be careful. The word means to want or to hold more. We have to be careful as adults wanting more. Be content with such things as you have. 
Hebrews 13. Lord, thank you for what you've given me. One of the ways to avoid covetousness is consistently tell the Lord, thank you for what you have. Lord, thank you for my wife. Lord, she is wonderful. Look at this and this and this. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for my husband. He's this and he's this and he's this. Lord, thank you. It prevents a wandering eye. I am thankful. You're thankful for your car. Oh, well, you know, it's got a few dings on it, but I am so thankful for my car because it it, it always starts, and Lord, it's been such a good car, and Lord, I just want to say thank you. You know, if it be your will for me to get another one, I'd like for you to consider that, Lord. Uh, but, But Father, thank you for what I have. It allows you to be comfortable, content with what you have. Most Americans are not content. And thereby... Most Christians are not content. So you'll notice, if you would, Ephesians 5, notice what he says back up in verse 3. But fornication, all uncleannesses, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Folks, take those three things to heart. Protect your eyes. Job did. I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maiden? So Job was concerned about immorality. He was concerned about pornography. And so he made a covenant with his eyes. Job 31.1. And all I'm trying to say is all the great Christians, look at these uh, these particular things. I'm going to put those off. I don't ever want those to to be named with my name. Notice if you would, he says in verse 4, neither... Filthiness. Now, uh, filthiness is uh, is um, shameful things. It's literally the word for being disgraced or dishonored. Things that would cause you to be disgraced or be dishonored. Those are filthy things. Couldn't even name all of them. Notice he says, nor foolish talking. Now, foolish talking would be... uh, Sarcasm, making fun of somebody at their expense. Sarcasm is not to be named with Christians. We have to be careful of that. It's easy to be sarcastic because it's funny many times, but it's also very hurtful. And a Christian that's walking in love cannot be sarcastic. I have some family members that are very sarcastic, hard on the marriage, um, they'll call me and say, you know, he's just so, just not a good husband, not a good wife, sarcastic. But, But I love you, but it doesn't feel like it. Sarcasm, foolish talking. Notice what he says. Uh, It it could be uh, uh, chiming in uh, with, uh, and literally this is the word moralageo. Legia legia is the word for word. It's moronic moronic words. Words you say without thinking. Foolish talking. You know, how many times have, how many of you have ever put your foot in your mouth? other than me. Raise your hand. Let me see it. Okay. That's foolish talking. Now, uh, you say, well, pastor, everybody does that. Yes, but we have to work at not doing that. 
OTAs. We're working to improve our language, our our speech. I want to be careful of the things that I say. So I'm going to put into place, think before I speak. I'm going to put into place, don't just say the first thing comes out of my mouth. I want to be the the guy with the quickest joke or the quickest this. I'm going to have to back off of that because invariably I'm going to say it. Maybe every 10th one I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'll regret it. Uh, The Christian says, I'm not going to have foolish speech. Well, notice the next thing he says, nor jesting. Now, that could be uh, making fun of somebody, teasing with them. I have to watch that every once in a while. I get with some of the guys, we're laughing and cutting up, and I might say something, they'll look and say, why did I say that? Hey, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Jesting. Christians are to be sober-minded. We're to have fun. I have fun with my wife a lot. We talk and joke and cut up with each other, but, but we avoid sarcasm. We avoid trying to uh, poke at something about that person. Notice, if you would, which are not convenient. They're, they're not, um, they're not and, and this word convenient, they're, they're not appropriate. They're not things that you ought to do. Now, now follow with me on this next passage. He says, but rather giving of thanks. So if you have two choices, you can make fun of somebody, you can jest with them, or you can be thankful. The Christian is thankful. Well, I sure am grateful for this. I am grateful for that. Boy, I tell you what, I sure am. I'm, I'm grateful for your encouragement, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for my family. I, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for your blessing. And, and uh, you know, the giving of thanks is so frequent. It gives the Lord the credit for everything. That's to be a Christian. No foolish talking or jesting, but giving of thanks. Being appreciative. Now, you'll notice, if you would, and I want to close with this, but you'll notice, if you would, in in verse number um, 7, be ye not therefore partakers with them. This is sort of like the peer pressure that you get around people that having a good time, pick the right friends so that the good time is not hurting someone at their expense. It, 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 is not, it, is not, uh, uh, it, it is not something that you guys regularly do to get around to make fun of other people. That happens all the time. The Lord says, but as my child, I don't want you to be partakers with them. A Christian has to step back and say, in my OTAs, I want to work hard to Be ready when Satan comes that I can say no. Uh, Jerry Rice is perhaps the greatest receiver in NFL history. He has the most yardage of any receiver. And I've told you about him before. As his uh, rookie season, after about, I think it was eight or nine games, he was considered a bust. He had dropped passes. He had fumbled. Uh, he was in the wrong place. Uh, and, and then uh, he just backed up and said, I've been a terrible player. i got to fix it. He looked at himself and said, I'm not what I ought to be. i got to change. And he began to work. And his workouts were legendary. 
some guys would say, look, I want to work out with you because they could see at the end of the fourth quarter, he was still running just as hard as he was in the first quarter. And they couldn't figure out how because the, 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 the cover corners uh, couldn't quite keep up with him. Then uh, at the end of the fourth quarter, the same pass route that would be uh, a half a step between them now is a step and a half. And they can't figure out. And it's because all during not OTAs, but voluntary workouts. He would go to the sand dunes in California and he would run them up the sand dune, down, up the sand dune, and down. Anybody ever tried to run in sand? Tell me what that's like. What does that do to you? It wears you out. When I went to Alaska, I was bear hunting in Alaska, there was uh, the tundra above the Arctic Circle and tundra is spongy. So you walk on it, and you walk uh, five miles, and you're whipped because it's like walking in sand, and it just work. And Jerry Rice would run in the sand for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, take a break, another hour and a half, take a break. And everybody said, I can't keep up, Jerry. Wait a minute. Give me a, give me a break. I thought you wanted to run with me. I do. This is what it takes to have the most yardage in the NFL. I can't do it. So he's the one with the most yardage. Where are the Christians that say, Lord, I want the most yardage for you. And you're willing, like tonight, to take the Word of God and run in sand. Hard work. I want to watch every word that I say. I want to be a blessing to people. I want to love those people that I know don't love me. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to imitate you. I want to be a sweet smell to you. Nothing sour in my life. Lord, help me not to care about what the partakers, all the other people are doing, not to be partakers of them, but Lord, to walk in love like you. Tonight, would you be willing to take your voluntary workouts to the next level in the morning and tomorrow and the next day so that you can be in his image? Let's bow our heads forward to prayer this evening. Could I challenge you tonight? Would you be willing to run in sand? That you could be all that you could be for Christ. The good part about the Christian life is we're not in competition with anybody else. The Lord didn't plan for me to get as many yards as someone else. Or maybe he did plan for me to do more yards than somebody else. But that's my responsibility. I don't compare myself among other people Comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. So, Lord, I, I want to get all the yards that you want me to. Help me to be willing to run in sand as long as necessary to walk in love. Father, would you speak to our hearts tonight? Lord, this is voluntary workouts. This is the Sunday night crowd. Would you bless them tonight? Dear Lord, would you give them the encouragement that they need to 
run in sand this week because they love you. Lord, would you increase our love for you and our desire to mimic you and to be in your image. In your name we pray, amen.